an incredible response by the Houston Texans to that Bengal touchdown moments ago. First and goal. Stroud, he's got six. He's in for the touchdown. C.J. Stroud's second rushing touchdown this season. That good from eight yards. And the Texans back on top by a larger margin. Hey now, everybody. Welcome to the Sportscasters. Season 13, episode 21. It is November 12th, 2023. As we count down towards the New Year's. Finishing up season 13 of the show. Looking forward to season 14, which of course I announced last time. We will be back. For a season 14, presumably a 15 and so on. No plans for the sportscasters to go anywhere. I did I did question everything this time, though. I thought about it. Do I still have the passion for this? Do I still love this? Do I still want to do this? And the answer is yes, and it's for episodes like this. Uh, in a second, Joe Buck will be joining us. Joe Buck, of course, the play-by-play man for Monday Night Football. The number one booth in football today. Uh, is Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and it isn't close, folks. And it's not because Joe Buck comes on this podcast either. They've dominated the season. They've asserted themselves as the best. They have a Super Bowl in a couple of seasons. And if it went by merit, if if they picked announcers like they pick officials, they do it every year. They're that good, and Joe Buck is going to join us today, and he's going to talk to us about the big game they have next week, the Eagles and the Chiefs, which means Taylor Swift Circus. And we asked Joe how he's going to handle that, and he gives a very honest answer. We do about 45, 50 minutes with Joe, and it's awesome, full of honest answers. I can't wait for you to hear it. So first things first. Oh, the second interview today is from our archives. I dug way back 10 years ago to 2013 for an interview that I did with Jack McDowell. Now, pieces of this interview may appear on an upcoming episode of um, Touring on Four Legs podcast. I think it's called Live on Four Legs. Live on Four Legs, excuse me. The Live on Four Legs podcast by Randy Sobel, a friend of mine in the Pearl Jam community. He does a great job there. And it is the 30th year anniversary of Versus. The 30th year anniversary of 1993, thus the 30th year anniversary of the infamous bar fight uh, between Jack McDowell, Eddie Vedder, and whoever they were fighting, uh, which ended them, landed them in a New Orleans prison for the night. Uh, Ten years ago, Jack was on this show, and he talked about that night, and uh, we're going to play that for you in a bit. So, Joe Buck today, after First Things First, we'll do a book club, and then we will have Jack McDowell from 1993. Talking about 1993 from 2013, uh, and then we will have one last thing to close things out. All right, first things first, quickly, I want to talk about the Saints who lost today um, in Minnesota. They were not competitive in the first half, and it's a trend that has, for whatever reason, plagued them this season. They have not been anywhere near acceptable starters, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and today... 
although the offense was good in the first half, they, they were never on the field. Uh, the defense just could knock it off the field, and they were giving up touchdowns. And Minnesota built a pretty much insurmountable lead at the half. Now, they played much better in the second half, and uh, they had some chances with the ball in their hands to maybe tie the game down eight and didn't. Uh, Derek Carr got hurt today. Um, he hurt his shoulder and had a concussion, so he was out. Uh, Jameis Winston came in and was horrible. I mean, he made some cool throws that receivers made plays on, but he just throws every ball is a 50-50 ball. He just throws it up for grabs, and uh, they grabbed as many as we did. Um, and we really didn't have a chance to win with Jameis in there. I, I don't think he's a serious option at quarterback, and I don't think Dennis Allen feels that way either. I think if, if Derek Carr can play, Derek Carr will play, uh, and that'll be true for the for the whole year for the whole year, and, and probably will be true under this you know under this staff. So unless there's a coaching change, I would expect Derek Carr to be the Saints quarterback going forward. I don't know if that's good or bad. I know it's better than Jameis though. Jameis isn't serious. So they lose their five and five. That's the bad news. The good news is that they're still in first place, right? So they're still in first place in the NFC South. And I think if you're them, your your only path to the playoffs likely is the NFC South. It's definitely your only path to a home game. Uh, so just put all your eggs in the NFC South basket, you know, win the NFC South and you get to host a playoff game in round one and you go from there. So I think that's what the season comes down to. Now, Michael Thomas was hurt today. To end an extraordinarily bad week for him, gets arrested uh, during the week, then has a knee injury. We don't know how bad yet. My guess, it's Michael Thomas. It'll be very bad. Uh, Derek Carr, like I said, was injured, and also Marcus Lattimore was injured. So we went from a position where we had everyone healthy for the first time all year uh, to very quickly three of the most important players injured. And we wait and see on all three how long they'll be out, but that's kind of where the Saints stand overall it was a pretty exciting day of football uh the 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 closing windows the witching hours at the top and bottom of uh your sunday ticket day were, were very good um i woke up totally forgetting that there was an early game today which the colts won 10 to 6 uh the browns beat the ravens great finish there the browns are six and three uh tied with the ravens in the loss who are seven and three um i assume with a bye either next week or or soon uh, the Texans, with their statement win, C.J. Stroud looks amazing. They beat the Bengals. Both of those teams are 5-4. and four. 49ers stomped the Jaguars. Uh, the Fighting Trembass just stomped. Uh, no touchdown for Christian McCaffrey. His streak ends. Uh, but the Niners rebound. 34-3 road win. Uh, they look very good, obviously. The Steelers outgained again. They've been outgained in every game, but they won again 23-19 over the Packers. They're six and three somehow, which means at the top of the AFC North, you have six and three, six and three, seven and three. And then the, the Bengals are five and four. So a beast of a division there. How many playoff teams is the AFC North? How many spots are they going to eat up? Uh, the Bengals beat the Titans. They're four and five. They're right in the mix. They're in the NFC South. Again, the Cardinals, Kyler Murray's back, look pretty good. Leads a game-winning drive. They're two and eight, but they beat the Falcons, who are now four and six. Behind the Saints, the Chargers were home, allegedly, against Detroit. Uh, but a huge, huge Detroit crowd. Jared Goff, walk-off field goal, 41-38 there. The Lions are 7-2. Uh, the Cowboys kill the Giants. 
I think 40 to nothing and 49 to 17, the two games between them this year. Uh, the Cowboys 6 and 3. Seahawks also 6 and 3. They walked it off on the Commanders. So an exciting day of football, I thought, uh, which was good, except for, you know, my team uh, losing. But now that the Saints have finished, it is officially international break in soccer. And I turn my head to Italy and to the national team and to qualifying for the Euros. And it's a pretty simple equation for them. They play Friday against Northern Macedonia in Italy. Take care of business, win that game. Then you go Monday to Germany to play Ukraine. You need to draw to qualify. So it's all in their hands. Uh, it's up to them. The The 29 players were called by Coach Spalletti. Um, and uh, we'll go over that here for a second now. Um, I like the calls. There's a couple guys not there because of injuries, like Scalvini, who I'd love to have. Uh, of the guys called, my lineup would be Donnarumma and goal. I would have DeMarco and DiLorenzo as the wingbacks and have Bastoni and Akurbe as the defenders. Then in the midfield, I'd have Barella, Jorginho, who's back, and Locatelli slash Fratizi. I'd play all four of those guys, really. And I wouldn't even mind seeing Bonaventura a little bit, too. I don't want to see much of Cristante. But they're strong in the midfield again. I think it was smart to call Jorginho, who should be calm and poised and kind of settle the boys and make sure they're ready. Up front, Chiesa has made it. to you know, Hopefully, he doesn't have to get sent home for any reason. And Chiesa, Raspadori, and Skamaka up top is as good as we've had in forever. So I like the call-ups. I like the potential lineups. There's no reason not to beat Northern Macedonia. No reason. Take care of that business at home. Get the win. It was a ridiculous loss in November or March of 2022 to keep us from the World Cup. It was a ridiculous draw, and it's enough of this shit. Beat Northern Macedonia, and then take care of business with a draw or better against Ukraine, and you're in the Euros. There's no reason not to be. So that's the task at hand. That's where the focus will be now through Monday. Uh, and, and we hope for the best. So that's a little bit here off the top. And I'm really excited for this show. So let's get going. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will be joined by Joe Buck. All right. Our first guest tonight was a student at Indiana University before leaving to turn pro to call games for the St. Louis Cardinals. Since he spent almost 30 years at Fox calling football games and, of course, baseball games, including the World Series. Before moving to ESPN, where he calls Monday Night Football with Troy Aikman, a warm sportscaster's welcome to my friend, Joe Buck. Hey, Joe. How you doing, man? Welcome back. I'm good. How have you been? Really good. Uh, really good. It's been a great 2023, especially compared to 2022. Um... And, uh, you know, look, I Saints are in first place, <laughs> so I'm trying to be... They are? Trying to be positive and enjoy things. You should be. Yes. Enjoy it. I yes. mean, we all have enough negativity around us every day to, uh, to appreciate when things are 
are good. In the case of the Saints, you know, it's kind of like last year in that division. Like, who's yep. the best of of the struggling teams? And I, I would think, I think most people would say the Saints are the best. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah, I think division. they are. I think they are. I, you know, the the difference in Derek Carr between what they've had so far, and I still think he can be better. People in, that liked him in the Raiders are telling me, no, he can. He's got more still. But he does make plays in the fourth quarter to win the games that, you know, the Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston or Trevor Simeon or God forbid Ian Book didn't make, you know, since Breeze. So he does, you know, he can, he can, he can, he's capable of, oh, Rashid Shaheed, we need one more first down. Go 40 yards down the field and I'll meet you there with the ball and the game's over. He's made those plays. Yeah, a few times. Oh, there are plenty know, of quarterbacks them. who don't. There are right. plenty of quarterbacks who don't. So, and, and he does do that. And supposedly, there's there's more still. I think him and Chris Olave are still trying to work it out. Um, and you know, Michael Thomas has been really good. He hasn't had the obviously the numbers he had with Breeze, and I'm sure he never will again. But he's been way better than I ever thought he would be. Um, after what he's been through the last few years, so I'm trying yeah, to stay it's, positive. It's easy. It's easy to forget how just how great he was oh, when that, he first and that 2019, those first is, three years or whatever it was. It yeah. was I mean, come on, that's as, that's as good as it's ever been. He had a 119 catch season. Yeah, so that's, that's mind blowing. That's crazy. So I'm being positive on that. The Italy has two huge games next week. Uh, they just announced the call-ups for that, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, the Braves was a, a bitter disappointment. The Sabres still apparently stink. So we got some ups they and do? downs. Yeah. The Sabres are no good this year still, even with my guy Tage Thompson up there? I mean, they're, they're, they're so far, here's the thing. Last year, they missed the playoffs by one point, right? So we've tortured ourselves. We torture ourselves now every game saying, see, that point. We just lost tonight. That's the point that kept us out last year. It's, you know, it's it's really right there. Oh, that's great. They were zero and nine at one point in November last year. They eliminated themselves essentially, despite almost overcoming it. They haven't done that this year, right? But if they want to make it, they're going to have to be much better than they've been so far. Well, they've played less than fifteen games. Let's relax. Correct. Correct. They and and that that's right. They you can't win. You can't make the playoffs. But you can eliminate yourselves from them, which they did last year. They haven't done that. So, uh, and Tage is yeah. Tage is a unicorn in the league. Uh, Emily Kaplan did a really nice, um, like a fifteen minute, uh, kind of had the E sixty type feel to it, talking about his maturation process and his development and getting traded. Well, we would take him back. I mean, I yeah, guess. Oh, sure. uh, but you got a cup. We would take him back now, but we got a cup, you so a cup. you can't really complain. And yep. and. Ryan O'Reilly is one of the all-time great people, so I, I think it is legit a trade that worked out best for both. I mean, yeah. he wasn't going to win up there, and, and no. you guys got a young cornerstone, so good for you. People can't sometimes grasp the one team's making the trade for now and one team's making the trade for later thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like St. Louis made that trade for 2019, and they cashed. They couldn't make a better one. The guy won the Conn Smythe, won the cup right you can't do better than that with a with a trade i don't think and then the sabers were like we need a guy you know who can be better in a few years and boom we got a 50 goal score almost last year you know so. yeah we don't have a lot of 50 goal scorers around here anymore, you know the so. guy they would not trade us and i've been kind of watching 
is is uh, Thomas. That was the guy that they were like, we will not trade him. And they, He's, they he, Tom, Thomas is a Thompson really gifted instead. player yeah. who I think with my low level understanding of the game, but as far as being a you know, as far as being a fan, I he's got unbelievable hands and just doesn't finish that much. Like he's a great distributor, but not a guy that you know you're gonna you're gonna see light up the score sheet with with goals. But that's okay. Every every team needs guys like that. And he's off to a great start. He's got six goals and five assists and eleven points in twelve games. So that's great. That's yeah, about, that's about what you're looking for right there, you know. And like you said, he's had 57 and 47 assist seasons, but his high marking goals is 20. Again, not that's not a problem though, you know. No, yeah. So yeah. I can't believe we're talking hockey for this much on right? this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm a hockey guy at heart. Um, I actually learned how to read because I heard that the newspaper that came to the house every day had information about the Sabers in it. So I was like, well, I got to read that. The late great Jim Kelly was the one writing those. Uh, for for a time, we had Jim Kelly, the writer, and Jim Kelly, the quarterback, here in town. Well, it, it's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad yeah. learned – I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but if you learned how to read because of that, he developed his voice as a kid because he would read the paper, the sports page, out loud to his dad, who was blind from cataracts oh, Wow, back in the – Back in the early 30s, um, it was at the time my dad had terrible cataracts, but but he was at least born at a time when they could kind of fix it. But his dad went blind, and so his dad was, a, I guess, a really good semi-pro baseball pitcher, loved baseball, and my dad developed his speaking and out loud voice by reading his father the morning paper every day. What a story. Did so. you get Did you get to know him, or was he gone before you were born, or? Oh God, yeah, no. yeah. Okay. My, I mean, my yeah. dad was your dad was mid forties yeah. by the time I came along, right. and his his dad and his mom were were long gone. Yeah, I, that was the nice, the opposite for you. Like I have younger parents, so I got to know my great grandparents, you know, a little bit um, because of that. Like my my great- that's amazing. I mean, I I wish I had met or I could refer to my dad. Forget grandparents. I could refer to my dad as a younger dad. Like I have half brothers and half sisters right? who, you know, he was in his early twenties and they knew him then he was in his mid fifties and late 50, or sorry, mid forties and late forties by the time me and then my sister came along. So I, I think of my dad as an older man, even from the beginning and they knew him when he was a younger guy. So it's kind of the same for my kids who, you know, my daughters knew me when I was in my 20s, if they can remember that far back. And, you know, my boys, I was 49, 48, 49 when they were born. So, uh, yeah, it's just a different experience, different time of life. And um, I think it works both ways. So whatever. It is what it is. One thing I've noticed that's pretty cool. It seems like you, you guys are bringing the boys to Monday Night Football a bit more this year. You know they're getting well, maybe to that. Well, we did. Yeah. We did once. No, not a bit more. Just, just one, the one time. One time. Okay. Uh, Buck night. Just not a bit more. And made. that was the time it turned out to be Buck night, right? Where you? It wasn't that the same day. Weren't they there that uh, week? What? When when Van, when Van Pelt was out, so we had the we had. Oh no, that was like the next week oh, or the, the week after. Week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had uh, Joe and Michelle. Thank God, Michelle. Better Michelle than Joe. Uh, 
hosting Monday Night Countdown and then did the game. And then a couple of weeks later, we, we did bring the boys. And, and it's, it's great. And I was lucky that, that I had a dad that wanted to bring me around games and on the road with him when I was a kid. Uh, but I'm here to tell you, at 54, with a Monday Night Football game to go and two five-year-old boys running around, <laughs> it was a lot. It so was, it, yeah. was, uh, it was great in theory. It was tougher in practice, but uh, they did well, and they loved it. They loved being at the stadium. They loved being around it. We were at the stadium the day before. Um, and just for them to get to kind of see where mom and dad go when we're gone and, and get the feel of what it's like when we're FaceTiming them from games from the other side of that phone uh, is good. And I think it has value and, and gives a little context to, you know, the boys knowing – you know, we, we do leave for, it sucks that we leave, uh, but you know, there, there's a reason why we go and then we're excited to come home. So it, that, that trip was really good. I'm glad we did it. I'm reading Kenny Albert's book right now. And obviously a big part of the book is about his relationship with his dad. Um, and, uh, he talks about going to the, um, 92 Olympics uh, with his dad, the, you know, the dream team, that's the big one, you know, the dream team, the um, the real dream team, the one and only uh, from, yeah. from 92 and times like that. And I know we've talked about, obviously, working with your dad and going to ball games with your dad. Your dad also did a ton of national stuff. Do you remember going to sporting events outside of St. Louis with your dad when you were a kid? Anything like big like that, that sticks out a memory of, of being so Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was the luckiest kid in the world. My, see my, I came along, my dad, as I've already said, you know, was a, an older dad. He had six kids, but by the time I came along, I think he was willing and, and more invested in being involved as a dad. And, um, I think he would tell you that if he were around to be able to tell you that. So he took me, when I got to be seven, eight, nine years old, I think I was in every National League city by the time I was 12. Uh, and, and I would be on the team bus, on the team charter plane, uh, in the clubhouse, in the broadcast booth. I mean, I was immersed in that world from when I was a little kid. And I, I it's the main reason why, other than all the nepotism jokes and all that other stuff. I think when you're, you know, immersed in it, you see a parent who loves what they do and it it's, it's around you all the time like that. It can, it, it, it's bound to seep in. And I think I was learning things without even knowing that I was learning them before I was 10 years old. And, uh, and, and that's why I was able to start with the Cardinals and not feel overwhelmed by the job when I was 21. And Fox came along, I was 25. And the World Series came along, and I was 27. And I, I just think I, I, my, my clock was sped up by the fact that I was lucky to be included when my dad uh, was in a position to be able to take his kid to, to work. He, he loved having me with him. Now, in my head, I want to say 89 is kind of when you really got going. So was 88 your Indiana year? Like, where were you night one, uh, you know, for the Kirk Gibson home run? Your dad famously called that. Like, where were you that night? I was in college. I, yeah. I was in Indiana. Um, 
and I was watching it on TV. I did not hear my dad's call until God knows when the next day, the next week. But when I was, I was watching the game as probably the only person in the Sigma new frat house to actually be watching the world series <laughs> right. in 1988, but it was a different time. And I think it, it, it had a little bit, you know, I think you had a better shot of a kid from St. Louis sitting in Bloomington, Indiana, watching a World Series between the Dodgers and the A's in 1988 than you might in 2008 or 2023. Yeah, certainly based on uh, the numbers this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's – yeah, and, and and that's that's another discussion. But I, I think, you know, as time has gone on, I, I so maybe I wasn't the only one, but I, I was one of a few watching that game in college. Um, but I, I, I started in 89, you're right, at Louisville. And I would go to college. I was there until, you know, the spring. And then I went to spring training on spring break. And then I came back, and a week after that, the season started. So I, I, don't, I don't even remember how I finished that school year uh, when I did. And then I did it again in 1990. And then by 1991, they were looking for uh, a fill-in for my dad, who was doing CBS – TV games on the weekends with Tim McCarver, ironically enough. And I'd done two years of the minor leagues and, and they said, well, why don't you fill in for your dad? Uh, we'll, we'll call it a fill in gig, but you'll still be a part of every broadcast all 162. So I was faced with the decision. Do I go back to Indiana or go and pro. finish my senior year or, go do the Cardinals and was like, well, if I go back to Indiana, I'm going to hope one day that I get the Cardinals job or something along those lines. Uh, or I can just take the Cardinals job. So it just, <laughs> it wasn't a very hard decision back then uh, to, to kind of shift and leave however many credits short I was. It's less than 20, but in that ballpark uh, and, and just go to work and, uh, I tried to finish my college education through correspondence, tried to finish at St. Louis University, uh, tapped out on both occasions, and just <laughs> sit here as a college dropout, uh, you know, 30 years after. Well, it's a good thing they didn't have that uh, three years post-high school graduation rule for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I know that exists somewhere, but uh, for me, it was like, let's go, let's let's. Let's jump in. And, you know, I probably wasn't that mature um, to, to be doing Major League Baseball and handling that life, handling criticism. Um, you know, coming in is, is the lucky nepotite in the nepotism world and a nepo baby, we call him now. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, again, I mean, I had been around it for so long and, and so intensely that I think that – won the day and and i was in a position where i could handle it um probably before i was totally ready as as a young man to do so i uh, had to listen to an interview i did 10 years ago the other day because i was looking for a clip of something and oof. <laughs> so i i won't uh, let's not let's not worry about how you were doing specifically uh back then i'm sure if we had to listen to it we wouldn't even recognize it actually you know what clip i always comes up and i'm like man that's joe on that one year, I think it was either year one or year two at Fox. It was a Saints and Rams game 
where the Saints punted it into the end zone and everyone just kind of walked away. But the Rams oh, yeah. picked it up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's I always uh, every time that clip comes up, I'm like, oh man, back when Joe was slumming it in the you know three and seven, three and eight Saints Rams game. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, it's funny, you know. I, I hear that, and I, I do hear myself younger um, from time to time. Like I'll see something on Instagram or whatever of a clip from the 96 world series or whatever it might be. And I, I get a little worried before I hit play of what I'm about to hear uh, because I was 27 and I've got a daughter who's 27 right now. Right. Uh, and it's kind of mind blowing along those lines, but I I'm like, you know, what's this going to sound like? And, and when you have that much space between when you did it actually, and now when you listen to it, literally exactly twice that age that was that was half a lifetime ago um i i'm i'm proud of how it sounds i i don't feel like it sounds like a kid broadcasting the world series i think if i go back to my early cardinal stuff in 91 that probably would sound is. more yeah. kid-like but by that point you know i was in my sixth year seventh year of broadcast in major league baseball and i had changed my voice enough because when i came in i was up here and i talked a little bit higher and i sounded like a kid and i was going really fast and then as as the years went by my voice got deeper and deeper stern trying like that to too. make yeah, howard's like yeah, that. yeah totally yeah you're right and and trying to make myself i think sound older by having a deeper voice um i think it finally took by the time i was 27 and and it it doesn't sound to me like a kid maybe it does to other people but you know you're always way more critical of your own stuff than anybody else is and i i listen to it i'm like "Eh, that's i i'm i'm proud because i was i was nervous i remember being nervous but it doesn't sound like the person talking on tv is nervous so that's good and i like that yankees call from 96 to charlie charlie hayes catch back on top of the baseball world right that was the just yeah yeah, yeah I, I thought that's, that was, right. that's a really good one. I think. I think if we yeah, were, I, if we were the, ranking all the World Series final outs, that'd probably be in the top ten at least. Well, I think it's it's it is true. The whole you you never forget your first right, uh, and when you do twenty four of them, you, you definitely go back all the time, or I do mentally uh, to that first one and feeling like I was. You know, it's like, shouldn't Vince Scully be sitting here doing this? And <laughs> yeah. instead, it's it's me sitting in Yankee Stadium going, what the hell am I doing here? And being, that's, that, that's one of the last real times I remember feeling nervous to do a game. I'm always anxious. I'm always excited. I'm always, uh, you know, wondering where the game's going to take everybody, and especially me when you're sitting in that chair. But... That that was different. That was like, oh my god, I, I don't know if I could do this. Trophy was and then in the it's building. All... Yeah, the trophy was in the it, building, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Yankee and, Stadium. and I think, yeah, totally. And and I think, you know, like Brett Favre used to say, it takes me a big hit at the beginning of the game to kind of shake the nerves and 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 just go play. And and there was nobody there to hit me. But I think once you get rolling and you're worried about your job and calling it like you should, I, I think 
the nerves just fade away and and you end up getting back to how you should be should have been at the beginning but i I've never really watched that first on camera from 1996. Uh, I could easily on YouTube, but uh, I, I, I wonder what it would look like. And I guarantee you what it looks like and what was actually going through my head <laughs> and my body at that time uh, are two totally different things. I think we'll put 2021 because it's my team aside. Uh, I think my favorite final out call, I, I'll give the, the Red Sox 04 a slight bump over the Cubs one. I don't know. The yeah, Red Sox it, fans have longed to hear it. I, there's something really poetic I liked about that one. Yeah, and and I I didn't. I'm I'm proud of the fact that I didn't think about that beforehand. I I made that mistake a couple of times. You and I probably talked about it, but but planning out like the McGuire home run call and. Right. I had a corny one one time in Philly when I was a young football guy, and I, I just hate those. I, I, it's like you've. I would rather say something plain, and have it be real in the moment, than have some corny line that I thought of that morning at breakfast before I did the game because you don't do anything else like that. I don't think. Well, when the first ground ball happens tonight, I'm going to say ground ball to Knobloch, who's over to his left and throws to – you don't think like that. You just see it, put it in your mind, and spit out whatever you spit out. And and when, when you get overwhelmed by the moment, you start planning that stuff out. And, and they never – to me, they never work. It's, it's always corny, and I hate being corny. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I give me the call that's – you know, like that one, Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. I didn't think about that one time before I actually said it. And, you know, for, for Red Sox fans, it's it was... It's iconic now. Yeah, it's become iconic, I think, if you're a Red Sox fan, for sure. Baseball, probably as well. Yeah, it was... I, I All I know is it, it ranked with my daughters because we were all obsessed with the ABC show Lost when okay. it was out. Yeah. And they played that clip in the show. Oh. Uh, to prove to one of the main characters named Jack, played by Matthew Fox, I think is his name, the actor uh, that that they had access to the outside world, and and it was like he was a captive, he was in a jail cell, and the the evil guy was like, oh, we have the ability to talk to the outside world, and he says, oh yeah, sure you do. He said, yes, we do. We know that so and so's president, and we know that the Red Sox just won the World Series. And the character's like, I'm from Boston. Now I know you're lying because we never win the World Series. <laughs> That's good. And then they yeah. he wheels in this decrepit old TV, and it's me saying, Red Sox fans are oh, long cool. to hear it. Good on, good like, on Fox. Oh, my God. Letting him use that, too. Good on Fox. For, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was – I mean, but that was that was at a time, you know, I worked for, for David Hill – who was was like that? I, I remember saying to him one time, you know, what if, you know, what if I, what if NBC asked me to host SNL? W- would you let me do it? And he said, Would I let you do it? I would drive you. There. Drive you, yeah. <laughs> and the point being, how is that in any way bad for Fox to share that audio or to share their talent and say, Hey, this guy just hosted SNL, or Hey, this guy's call is on ABC's Lost. 
you can also see him next week as he gets prepared for whatever game. It's it's smart. It's free publicity. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. David Hill got that. I, I don't feel like a lot of other, you know, a lot of other network bosses got that. Certainly at the time, and probably still don't get it. Well, you bring up David Hill, and I know he's someone that you you talked with when you made the decision to go to ESPN. And I feel like there we had that big shuffle, right? Now everyone's settled in. You know, this is the second year yeah. everyone settled in. And I know you you can and won't say this, but I will. I think you and Troy have really established yourselves um, as the number one booth by far. Um, I know I'm not well, the only one. You. I know I'm not the only one saying it too. Um, I know you, you you keep your head down. You don't look around, but you know people are getting. That's the feeling right now. You guys have really established yourselves. You're really. I think Troy's having his best season this year. Uh, I do too. I think he's just been really great. Uh, you know some. Some of the other guys have danced around the Zach Wilson issue when calling Jets games, and Troy was not afraid to to call it like he was seeing it. And I thought that was really great. I think he's having his best year. Um, I think you guys are having a great year together. And I think as we've seen that shuffle um, and everyone kind of settle, uh, I think you guys have emerged. How has it been for you now that you are settled, now that you're there, you're a part of it. You see less stories like like last year. Everyone wanted to make a big deal every time you and Scott Van Pelt were on the screen or something. Um, but which was like, which it, was yeah. hilarious because yeah. he and I are friends and we were giving each other trouble. Which was it obvious. Was like, it was, I thought. I know. Yeah. People just don't get that. <laughs> I thought it's that was like, obvious. Like I'm really going to be mad that he only asked me one question. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just so dumb. And, and they're like, oh, just having a little settle fun. in. Yeah. This this is going to be. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like Scott's the only guy I knew before I went there. Um, but that's calmed so yeah, down. I mean, yeah, that stuff's calmed down. It seems like everyone's settled. Everyone's used to you being there now. You know, is that? Yeah, I, yeah. and I and that's probably I, I probably probably took for granted that people would know that I was kidding. But I think people go, oh, it's the Fox guy at ESPN. I I never I, I've never thought like that it's just like hey right. we're all here we're all one big team but but you're right i mean i feel like not only are people just more used to it now after all that weird shuffling but i feel like i feel like an espn guy now and and i felt like last year after i guess it was 28 years whatever the number was at fox i felt like the fox guy at espn now i feel like fox is down the road they're happy with what and who they have i'm down the road espn is happy with what and who they have and like everybody's comfortable now and and i do feel to go back to what you said take me out of it i feel like troy is the best he's ever been and absolutely yeah and and i think that comes from not only longevity but longevity as being the guy who wasn't always looking for the crazy comment to get noticed. I, to me, he's like, he's like the manager in baseball that had a really solid big league career. Like Bruce Bochy, who just won it all. Yeah. He, Bruce Bochy was a, was a really good longtime backup, sometimes starting catcher. Dusty Baker was a really good big league ball player who broke in with Hank Aaron and played for years for the Dodgers and, you know, what have you. And, and they were secure, with their legacy, whether they managed ever or not. And so a lot of those guys just 
kind of let their teams play, even in the analytical world. And I feel like Troy, if he if he never broadcast one second, could hang his hat on an unbelievable playing career with three Super Bowls and a Hall of Fame career and all that stuff. So he doesn't I, I don't think he ever got into this feeling like he had to prove his worth by saying something that would get attention. He already had attention. And and so he's never been one to just rip guys or say the crazy stuff or be silly or be goofy. And then when he says something like with regard to Zach Wilson last week, like, hey, in the NFL, you can't – that's a layup throw. You can't miss layups. And and here's how he's playing. Here's how I, Troy Aikman, see him. And it's not mean. It's not It's not ripping just to rip. It's It's an honest assessment from a guy who has all the credibility in the world and who's just giving honestly how he feels. And 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 if he played great, if Zach had played great, Troy would have been the first guy there saying, hey, this kid's playing out of his mind right now because he's secure in, in what he has accomplished already in the game. So I think there's so much value in that. And, and I'm glad you and other people hear that because I, I really honestly do think he is – the best he's ever been and and therefore we are the best we've ever been yeah i think the book i mean the booth is is humming i think you guys are at an unbelievable unbelievable season a couple more quick ones and i'll let you go sportscasters here with joe buck always great to get his time it's so difficult now joe post pandemic i think those i read a stat it was like there was like nine hundred thousand podcasts going in and 1.9 million new podcasts at least had one episode uh, after the pandemic, and I know you get asked so many times, and I feel guilty to even ask you. So I always appreciate the time. A uh, couple more Monday Night Football ones. You're gonna have you have a great, great game in a couple weeks. Maybe it could be the game of the year, Super Bowl rematch, Philadelphia Kansas City. The I, the question should be: Are you pumped about the game? It's a big game. Number one, maybe number one on schedule. But I gotta ask at least slightly: Have you thought about how you're gonna handle the Taylor Swift stuff if she's there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it is going to be a great game. It's going to be a great scene. Um, I can't wait. I, it was a, it was a gift from the NFL. Yeah. I, I hopefully hopefully that's what ESPN had in mind when they brought us to Monday Night Football that they would get a game like that, and 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 that I think makes everybody proud at ESPN. So we'll do it right. We'll do it justice. And yeah, I mean, I I think it, it's you have to tread lightly, and and I don't think you can be a smartass about it, and I don't think you can. I mean, believe me, I've got twenty seven and twenty four year old daughters. They've already mentioned to me, Dad, you have to make sure that you're not a smartass right. about Taylor Swift, which I wouldn't be anyway. Um, but I I think you have to be careful. I mean, Al talked about it a few weeks ago. Right, he wasn't happy. I, I don't think <laughs> you, I don't think you can go overboard, but you can't deny that this is the world's megastar, and she's sitting in the same stadium rooting on Travis Kelsey. And uh, what's wrong with that? I, I everybody this this is a TV show and a game, and I think you, you treat it as as such and you mention it and you have shots of her and you respectfully talk about it and you move on but i i'm i'm smart enough to to try to not be the aforementioned word corny about it and i'm also not going to just completely ignore it i i think you have to find a, a 
balance. Yeah. A good happy medium and a balance. And you know, yes, everybody is there to to watch and 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 see what happens between this you know this great matchup. But at the same time, it's it's another layer in it. And I hope she's there. It'd be great. Yeah, and it's one too that it, it has enough. Maybe some of the time she's been there, that's been the storyline. Of course, we got to go there. What else is there? Chiefs are winning by a few touchdowns. Well, this has got, you know, you got the Kelsey brothers, the Super Bowl rematch. You know, you got Mahomes. So there's a billion storylines. So probably easier to find balance maybe than some of the earlier. I think that's, no, Steve, that's a a really smart, that's a smart assessment because I I think there probably have been games that aren't competitive. Yep. And it keeps, and then people are like, "Ah, oh, come on! I'm, I just want to watch." But yeah, I mean, it's Hertz and Mahomes and Kelsey and Kelsey and two really great teams. I mean, they're both on their bye weeks. So, what is it? Eight and one against seven and two, and two teams that played to the to the wire in the Super Bowl, and it could be a Super Bowl preview too. Um, so it would be it would be impossible to get carried away with that because there's just too much. You know, there's too much football to cover. So much that else game. going on. Yeah, what a game! Uh, th- you guys have flex scheduling this year. It's been interesting so far. It seems like the league, the 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 networks have been prioritizing in some ways the market sizes and who the teams are, as opposed to what the game the game quality. That might be also because it's early and maybe there's a perception that everyone's still in it. Uh, I also think that. You know, I read that with the lack of a true AFC and a true NFC uh, contract now, there's more games that are protected. There's like, so there's like the minutia there that makes it harder. What are your thoughts on flex scheduling? Do you think you'll see some on Monday night? Is that something you'll be interested I, in? I or? don't think so. No, yeah, I you don't think, think I don't think we will. I don't I, think so I, either. And, and I don't know, but I I don't know. They don't. And really, it's the league, from what I understand, that kind of drives that. I think the the network could go, hey, you know, let's look at this game, and what do you think? But obviously, it's the league that ultimately says it. And maybe I think it's Minnesota and that, Chicago, maybe Minnesota, maybe, maybe. But but okay, where you're going to go now? Right. And, and then yep. it's like, I mean, Minnesota could be seven and four. Um, True. I, you know, the the odds. I, I would say, you know, they're not even fifty fifty on that, but they could be. And you have to. Declare, I think, twelve days beforehand. I think we're doing the Minnesota Chicago game, and and I'm good with it. I, you know, nobody cares what I think, but I, so I'll do any Green game. Bay, maybe Green Bay, New York, then. Well, yeah, but that's also they're, that they'd would have be, to give up New York, then, right? And they're probably not then do you're that. giving up New York yeah. and the Packers, and True. and you know that's also a night where it's a double header, or there's two games. Uh, with the Dolphins and the Titans, and the Dolphins, I think, are good TV. So I, I, I don't, I, as I look at it now, it's nice to know that it's there in your back pocket. You know, we could have used it last year. Right. We had a we had a bunch of Colts games, and you know they had hired Jeff Saturday, and they were way out of it. Uh, the Steelers were the only thing left for them last year when we had Steelers Colts was to get the Steelers, you know, not to have Tomlin have a losing season. That was about it. And But I look at it this year, and I'm like, I just don't see where, you know, New England and Kansas City, you're going to flex out of a Chiefs game? I no mean, you, the Chiefs are going to draw yeah. no matter who they play. And the, and the Patriots are a story. So I 
could be one of the as, last as Belichick right games. Now. You know, it could be one of his last games there, potentially. Sure, it sure could. Yep. So, so no. I, I I just don't see it. And and I, I think the obvious one is the first week that it's eligible, which is week twelve, which is Chicago, Minnesota. But I, I just give me let me go to Minnesota. I'm good. Let me get in that stadium and I think it's good TV, and it's Chicago as the visiting team. I I, I think you can make a, a real strong case to not move off that game. Man, the back half of this schedule is loaded, Joe. Mine, ours. Yeah, I mean you well, got you got Philadelphia, really Kansas week. City, Week Eleven. You got Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Week Thirteen. You've got Kansas City, New England, Baltimore, San Francisco. Could be two on first Christmas. place teams on Christmas, and then the last one even is Detroit and Dallas. That could be playoffs. That NFC, could be playoff seating. I I, yeah. I kind of have a weird feeling that it's going to go. And we started with the Jets. I mean, that's how far I think. I hope Monday Night Football's come, but we started with Aaron Rodgers, and it set all kinds of records on ESPN. And then we've got this beacon in the middle of the season with the game next weekend. And I, I like this weekend too, by the way, I think your bills are going to have their hands full with the Broncos with the way they've played. We'll see. Um, I know they're not your bills. No, Buffalo. And well, yeah, it's okay. I know. I got it. And I know who you like. Yeah. Uh, we text quite a bit about that. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Detroit and Dallas and I, man, I, I think that's going to be a big night ratings wise. Detroit is, is so fun to cover. And Dallas is Dallas. So, I, yeah, it's it shook out as we sit here now in week 10. Like, this is going to be, a, a, as you said, a nice back half of the schedule, which we did not have much of last year. And postseason-wise, do you have a playoff game this year? You do, right? Yeah, we have wild card. And then for the first time, divisional. Oh, nice. And Super Bowl next year or 25? Super Bowl, 25. no. It goes, it's, it's CBS, yeah, Fox, CBS, Fox. NBC than us, so oh. we we have a little while away. That might be twenty six, actually. Then uh, it's it's in three more seasons, whatever it. that is. Got it. The sportscast yeah. is here, closing up with uh, Joe Buck. Nice enough to take probably more time than he wanted here with me today. I always appreciate that. I know he's got to get to the no, family. I love talking to you. Get you know to, that. Get to the family here in a second. Quickly, I've always begged. Uh, well, begged isn't the right word. I've always dreamed of uh, being a fly in the. Uh, Buck Springsteen Vetter text chain uh, that you say is mostly baseball, but you know whatever they're ta- whatever you There's guys. There's no are music. About. Want, trust me, they're not matter. talking about music. Doesn't matter. I will talk baseball with you, Eddie Vetter, and Bruce Springsteen till the cows go home. Okay. Yeah. But I think my focus now has to shift to concert going. You know, I think I want to become co- concert goer with Joe Buck and Eddie Vetter. Let's go to the Spear together. You know, who's playing in the spear in a couple months, Joe? I'll meet you guys down there. It's, uh, yeah, we had a great night. And, uh, place is sick, huh? It's crazy. It's, it's, when you can relegate a band like you two to the sideshow, which it was, with just compared to this crazy visual, visual experience, um, it's, it's, pretty it's pretty special so i and to be there with eddie and jill his wife and and to sit there and watch him it was the second time he had seen it and he's very close with bono and and they talked quite a bit about it uh to to see the wonderment on eddie's face again seeing it for the second time i mean he just was so into it 
and I was into it watching him be into it. It was it was a multi layered awesome night. So uh, yeah, I, I I am not so out of touch that I didn't like want to pinch myself uh, multiple times that night. I'm sitting in a luxury suite with Lady Gaga, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Eddie Vedder. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, what am I doing in here? But I was just like kind of keeping to myself and being quiet. Brought our football producer, Steve Horn, who works with me. Well, I think I told uh, you, too. That morning I woke up and there were some pictures going around. And no one was – everyone's like, oh, Eddie was at the Spear, you know, whatever. And everyone was focused on Richard Kind. Is that Richard Kind? I think that's Richard Kind. It's so funny because no Richard's – Richard is yeah. like – is Clooney's best friend. And and so he's kind of like the party favor. He's, he's always – whenever Clooney's at an event, I've been to a couple – Richard's always there and Richard is he's appropriately named because because he is about as kind a guy as you will find and he's he's just kind of you know he's very inquisitive and he wants to know exactly where I've been and what I'm doing and why and he's just awesome so it was it was Richard Richard kind I left him out of the star-studded lineup <laughs> yeah. that, that had the Pearl Jam boards a buzz for some reason I was like, I think, yeah I think that's Richard kind I think no, no, not not many people Buck watching on that picture though. But I got yeah, in there. Man, I was which like, is fine. I think that's Joe Buck. I think. <laughs> I yeah, knew it was. But well, you knew. I was playing coy. You know. Oh, I think that might be yeah. him. Yeah. Well, Eddie told me that we were riding over to the venue, and he was saying he was telling me a story, telling us a story in the car, and and just just to point out, and this is talking way out of school, and but but it's so true, and it's just points out what kind of a person he is. We get into the car. And it's Eddie, Jill, me, our producer, and my friend Steve. And we all pile into this SUV to go over there from his hotel. And he puts his hand on the driver's shoulder. He goes, hey, I'm Ed. What's your name? And he's like, you know, my name's Phil, whatever. Okay, yeah, like, Phil, hey, Phil, how you doing? Hey, Phil, how you doing? How's your day? Good? And it was like, this is Eddie better. Like, he could... He is the nice. He is genuinely the nicest human being I, I've ever met. For somebody at that level of stardom, yeah. um, it's just it's so it's so refreshing to to have somebody that I look up to. You know, not only as a musician, but as just a dad. As a He's a great dad, yeah. great great friend, like very thoughtful, and then just kind to people. It's it's just. There just aren't many people like that guy. I was, uh, I told you I was listening into a clip from 10 years ago. This month is the 10 year anniversary of the bar fight that he got into with him and Jack McDowell, uh, the former pitcher for the Red Sox or the White Sox and Yankees, won a yeah. Cy Young. And I actually had Jack on the podcast like, well, 10 years ago, I guess. And uh, I was asking him about that and he was telling me about the night and how everything would happen. And one of the Pearl Jam podcasts reached out to me and said, hey, I know you had Jack. You know, you think, do you have any contact? We'd like to do something for the 30th anniversary, whatever. That's so why I was looking back. And um, just an unbelievable story of those two guys, you know, in New Orleans, just minding their own business. And I don't know, as someone who was like trying to say Nirvana was better or something, picking at them all, uh. all damn night. They, you know, they wouldn't let it go. And then, I don't know, McDowell tells the story better than me. But, uh, but I see, and for me, like, I, only knowing Eddie, you know, I would say really well the last handful of years. I can't even imagine that. Right. Like that to me, 
you know, like to me, well, they were certainly not the aggressors from the story. They were certainly they did everything they could to avoid it that night, you know. But they right. were, the, but they were the famous people. People are like, yeah, that. it was, you know, they're famous people in a in a place where where alcohol is and bad things happen. All right, Joe, do you have any questions for me? Uh, no, absolutely not. I I uh, I feel like we covered the Sabers. We covered uh, before we got on the Saints. You're going to be in um, Buffalo. How's your health? How, you how, you fe- how's your, how are you feeling? I feel great. I've had a great, a great 2023, especially compared to 2022. I have no complaints. I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I have a bad day here and That's there. That's awesome. But you know, those are just. It's like the equivalent of someone waking up with a cold. You know, no big deal. You just fight through it. No big deal. Uh, That's awesome. I'm doing that makes great. My day. You're coming to Buffalo this weekend. Are you excited to be in Buffalo? I am. You know, I've done so few games there. I, I did. I did some in. We talked about '89. That was when the Louisville Redbirds were still playing teams in the International League. So I was up there, and we've talked about it. Gabriel's Gate and all that. Yeah. I, I just. I don't know Buffalo that well. We did a game during the pandemic there that was rescheduled, and it was on a Monday night of all nights early, and I think that was the last time. That I was there. Um, well, I'm on so, call if you need me. You know, okay. if, if you, there's chicken wings you want, you want me to bring them to you guys. You know, if you need a ride somewhere, if there's anything you need, I'm on call for you while you're in my city. You know, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I love Buffalo, and I always hope people have a good time when they're here. You know well, that? I mean, it, it makes it easy though for for my job to be in a stadium that reacts like a stadium like that stadium does. and they'll be excited just, yeah they'll be excited they love night games here they'll be there all yeah. day they'll be there all day I, I mean that that makes life easy for me so i i you know when there's crowd noise that carries it it's and and the booth is pretty low and it's in a good spot i i, I from the couple times i've been there i love it i wish we were there more the uh you, you see the wire the show the wire uh, I, I, I'm well aware of it, but yeah. I, I, I just missed it. I there, didn't really watch it. Michael B. Jordan who became a big star, obviously. Since. Sure. Of course. Uh, yeah. he, he plays this kid named Wallace in the first season and, um, the game has kind of turned on him and, uh, his superior is kind of, kind of soft, trying to soft pedal and say, you kind of, you gotta, gotta get out of here. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't stay here. And he, he kind of turns around to where he's standing. He's like, this is me right here. This is me. This is me. That's me in Buffalo. You know what I mean? <laughs> if the game in Buffalo turns on me, I'm gonna have to stand tall and say you have to run me off. You know? Okay. Hopefully, I, like I work. It, it I works like out better than it did for Wallace. That. But uh, okay, well, yeah. I'll, maybe I'll watch it. Don't spoil it. I will me. no spoilers. Yeah, it's only been out thirty years, but yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All uh, right, brother. Thank you. All right, Steve. Yeah, I appreciate good to talk you. To you, man. Yeah. All right. Talk to you. Awesome. Bye. Chairman Doug Luce, 73 From Millhead Maximus, Drop it just under, cross front page All right, I want to thank Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. What a guy. What a guy. If you're out there and you're one of these people, look, if you don't like Joe Buck because it's a preference thing, you don't like the sound of his voice, 
You know, you don't like, like the way he dots his eyes. You don't like the way he crosses his teeth. I understand that. You know, we all have our our favorites, people we like, people we don't like. But if you're out there trying to say he's a jerk or he doesn't have a good sense of humor or he's not a nice guy or he's a nepo, ba- you're wrong about all of that. He's too good. All right, quick book club update. Uh, the first book is one we finished last episode uh, called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind by Doug McLean and Scott Morrison. You can find our interview with Doug and Scott on Season 13, Episode 20 on the Sportscasters feed. Uh, so thank you to Ron and or excuse me, Doug and Scott. Draft Day, highly recommend this book. One of the best ones of the year. Uh, next up is Kenny Albert, our guy Kenny. A mic for all seasons, my three decades, announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. And Kenny will be on with us the next episode uh, to talk about his book, A Mic for All Seasons. Can't wait for that. Uh, One more also for this year. It's called Hometown Hockey Heroes by Ken Reed. Uh, We will track Ken down uh, to talk about some of the uplifting stories from all across Canada. That involve hockey. I love stuff like this. We'll track Ken down before the end of the year. And then we'll start working over Christmas break on this one. Uh, Charlie Hustle, The Rise and Fall of Pete Rose and the Last Glory Days of Baseball by Keith O'Brien. That will be for next year. So that's where the book club stands uh, as we finish up 2023 and uh, head into another year in 2024. As the book club is going to remain important and get more important as it gets harder to book guests. Uh, the one true constant is people willing to sell their books. They write a book. They will sell it and promote it and come on to talk about it. And it's the easiest way to book guests on a podcast like this. And I'll never stop doing it. If that means reading books until you know I can't see out of my eyes anymore, uh, that's the commitment I'm willing to make for this show. Um, and it, it has to be done. All right. We're going to take a break and we're going to do something a little different. We're going to replay an interview. Uh, From Season 3, Episode 34, back in 2013, that we conducted with Jack McDowell, who was a pitcher for the Yankees, won a Cy Young for the White Sox, and one night got in a bar fight with Eddie Vedder and went to jail. (laughs) So we're going to have him tell that story like he did on this show in 2013, and I hope you enjoy that if you didn't hear it back then. Uh, And then I will be back on the other side for one last thing. Our next guest was born in California and played college baseball at Stanford, where he won a national championship. He played Major League Baseball from 1987 to 1999 for the White Sox, Yankees, Indians, and Angels. He won the 1993 Cy Young Award and is making his first appearance on the podcast today as the second member of the Pearl Jam Superfan Series. A warm sportscaster's welcome to former Major League Baseball pitcher Jack McDowell. How are you doing today, Jack? Hey, doing well. What's going on? Not much. Just really excited to to have you on today. You're the second uh, Cy Young Award winner to be on the show. John Smoltz is the first. And uh, we're really excited to have you on to talk about baseball and, and Pearl Jam. And uh, we really appreciate the time. All right. No worries. No worries, man. 
You know, I, one thing that, that's really interesting to me, and it's it's somewhat unique to baseball, uh, a little bit unique to baseball, and I guess there's a little bit of this in hockey too, is this idea of being a young kid and being drafted by a Major League Baseball team, but also sort of committing to a college baseball team and having to make such an incredible life choice at such a young age. And for some people, it, it works out fabulously, and I guess for others, it doesn't. Uh, you're, I guess, a case of it really working out, having gone to Stanford, graduating from there, winning a national championship, and then going on to a great major league career. When you look back on that decision, is there anything that kind of stands out about how hard of a decision that was or, or kind of maybe something in particular that made you lean one way or another? Well, you know, at the time, being a Stanford commit guy, there weren't guys that were decommitting to Stanford. There weren't even guys that left. I think like the, one of the first guys to... Uh, signed as a junior out of college with Steve Bouchelle, and that was two years before I was a freshman. So guys, when guys went to Stanford, when they were committed to Stanford, they just they went there. They didn't sign. So basically, a lot of the pro teams were, you know, uh, wary of signing of, of drafting me in the first place out of high school. So I really I didn't go in a high spot. I went in the twentieth round to the Red Sox, and. Um, they ended up, at the end of it, offering me second-round money. So I actually did get close to going, but, you know, it's funny. At the time, second-round money at that time was $80,000. So, you know, that was that was big money way back then. But, uh, yeah, it might convince me otherwise these days. You know, one thing that has been a big topic on this show for the last, since April has been winning a national championship. We had uh, Ed Cunningham on, who won a, a football national championship at Washington, and uh, my brother actually just won a hockey national championship at Yale. As everyone who listens to the show just rolled their eyes because it always has to come up like on every show, you know. So it's kind of people give us grief about it. But uh, talk a bit, a little bit about your experience winning a national championship, and and maybe what was unique, what's unique about it in baseball is you know the College World Series being played in Omaha every year, and uh, just what do you remember about that experience? Well, it, it's interesting because I kind of I, I grew up with it. Both of my brothers played baseball at USC, and they were seven and eight years older than me. And I actually got to watch my oldest brother Jim um, win a national championship there in 1978. So you know, I got to get out of school, fly back to Omaha with my parents, and watch my brother play and win a national championship. And that was such a big part of our family that. You know, the whole uh, the, the college camaraderie and that whole thing was just kind of ingrained in us. So, you know, to get an opportunity to do that, you know, however many years later, it would have been eight years later, um, was amazing. I mean, it was awesome, so much fun, and it was definitely, you know, one of those things I had a goal to do. Was your brother at your, and it might be a silly question, but did your brother get to then see you win the national championship? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's back there for sure. Yeah, that's really, that's really sweet. So do you get, do you go back to Stanford all the time and are you part of the program at all? Or are you still close with it? Or uh, I'm not super close. I mean, I, I had been up to a handful of alumni games. Um, we had a kind of what would it have been a uh, 25th anniversary little get together last year that I popped up and saw a lot of guys. Um, but it's you know it's not an it's not an everyday thing. And now that I'm living back, I'm living in uh, North Carolina now. I'm not in California, so not as easy just to John out there and you know take an hour flight up to see him anymore. Right. You know, after college, obviously you went on and and like we said, it worked out for you this time. You got second time around, instead of getting drafted by Boston, you get drafted by Chicago. 
fifth pick in the first round, so it wasn't second round money anymore. It was obviously top end first round money, and um, you get to started there. And you know, you made your major league debut at the end of the '87 series, and obviously your best year was the Cy Young year in '93. So a little bit of time there. Talk a little bit about developing in the major leagues and and maybe what it was in Chicago that that they did that helped you develop into a top end rotation pitcher. Well, you know, it was an interesting scenario in Chicago because when I got there in 87, um, it was a very H team. You know, there was probably 12, 15 guys in their mid to late 30s on that team, and it was definitely a team in transition. So in one respect, I was lucky to be drafted on a team that basically the entire team was turning over within two or three years. So, you know, I was brought up quickly and kind of thrown to the wolves right away. But I think um, um, having those veterans around the first couple of years helped a ton. And having Carlton Fisk catch me those first, you know, handful of years all the way, you know, through my Cy Young was amazing, too. Because, all, you know, anytime you get a guy with experience, intelligence, and, and is willing to pass it on, obviously, you know, you're, you're going to be in a better situation than, than without that. And I think having guys like him and, uh, Charlie Huff, Jerry Royce, guys like that throughout the years really, you know, helped me figure out what it was that I needed to do to be successful. You know, it was a big help. You know, it's an interesting thing for a pitcher, I think, because when you think about baseball highlights and, and the things that replay over and over, they're usually they're usually hits. I think like the thing... Yeah, I, I joke with Dan Patrick about that all the time. I'm like, it's crazy. You guys, you know, the only pitcher's highlights are home runs. Right. Yeah, Jack McDowell threw a one-hitter, and look what it was. It was a 420-foot <laughs> home run off of, you know, so, and you're like, that's all you get to see unless you strike out, like, 22 in a game. Right, exactly. And then maybe you'll get to see, you'll get to see two pitches of the 22 strikeouts. Right, or if you're, if you're lucky enough to throw a perfect game or a no-hitter, they might sneak a couple highlights from that in, but then usually it's like, well, this was the great catch that saved the no-hitter here, this diving catch yeah, here. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a home run. The only, if you give up a home run, now you're going to be on Sports Center. That's the only good thing about it. Right, and I, I look at your career and I think about you know a guy who pitched 250 innings like four straight years and won 20, over 20 games in two seasons, and then when I think about, all right, what have I seen on TV – the only highlight I ever see is the game-winning hit in the 95 playoff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a Seattle thing that runs Right, constantly. that's, that's yeah, a, that is. How, how, like, is that something that bothers, like, can you watch that now? Is that something that bothers you? Is it something like Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's tough, but then as you go on, you know, where I'm at now and step away from it, it was such a cool moment in baseball that it's cool to be a part of that anyway. You know, I look back and I go out, and a lot of people say that was the game that saved uh, the team from state uh, to stay in Seattle, and what really got them back on the map, and got everyone fired up about the the team there. And so I look at that and I go, yeah, I guess you know it's a pretty cool part of history and one of the coolest series you know in history. So that's kind of nice to be a part of it. Obviously, it'd be nice to be on the other end of it, but you know, it didn't happen, and that's the way it was. And so that's what we get to watch. You know, that's a really interesting perspective. I wonder if. I think about hockey goalies that maybe like gave up it, and like Dominic Hasek maybe who had this great career with five uh, Vesnas and three MVPs. I wonder if he thinks about the overtime winning goal in the Stanley Cup that Brett Hall scored on him. If he if he's able to have the same perspective. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to take a few years. But right. <laughs> yeah, to get get a different perspective. I always tell people one of the one of the best um, memories and moments that I had in my career is. 
the year that Kirby Puckett, and I forget, it was either 91 or 92, and he was entering free agency as one of the top players in the game. Minnesota, being a smaller market, didn't know if they are going to be able to afford him, didn't know if they are going to sign him back. He was talking with the White Sox. He's from Illinois, from the Chicago area. He had talked with us. You know, hey, you know, what do you think? We were fired up thinking, God, my puck might come play for us. Wow, that's going to be great. Turns out he signed back with the uh, Twins. Well, as it, as it turns out, um, I'm throwing their home opener. Uh, I'm throwing against them in their home opener the, my second start of the season of that year. And I get the first two guys out, and here comes Puckett. And they're like, you're now batting in the crowd. I mean, you're talking home opener in the Metrodome, one of the loudest places around. Right. Thank you so much for staying. And you couldn't hear, thing. you know, you could, you, I couldn't even hear Kirby in the Kirby Puckett. Number 34, Kirby Puckett. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was crazy loud, standing ovation, one of the loudest things. Like, I'm getting chills up there on the mound. And I'm fired up. And I throw the first pitch to him about, shoulder high, probably about 100 miles an hour because I'm all fired up. And he proceeds to hit it, a pitch he should have taken, you know, just, hey, ball one, here we go. He hits it upper deck over the baggie. And you hear a place go from loud to louder, and I'm sitting there just smiling to myself going, this is unbelievable. And that's something that I've never seen that again, but it was such a, a crazy moment. And just a typical moment for a guy like that, you know? Hey, you need a big hit, or I'm fired up, you're pumped up here, here's a home run for you, you know? <laughs> Guys like him, or Ripken, or uh, I even said Barry Bonds. Anytime Bonds was at a milestone, it was like his next at bat. Oh, here. Oh, oh God, I need another home run here. Here it is, boom. Right, they just don't... It wasn't like you were, you were waiting for a month. Just don't miss those opportunities, I guess. I, that's crazy. You know, it, it's funny because I asked Jan to do this as part of like a, a Pearl Jam Superfan series, and... I almost look back at you and think of you as one of the very first Pearl Jam super fans. It just seems, you know, it seems like... Well, it's an interesting story not a lot of people know. The reason I, I ended up hooking up with those guys in the first place is um, my ex-wife and Eddie's ex-wife, Beth. Beth, right. They lived together in San Diego when they are all living in San Diego together. So when I met my ex-wife in Chicago and I was playing music, she said, oh, I have another friend who's in a band, you know, Mookie Blaylock at the time. Hmm. And and so, Way like, back. you know, I met, Beth, I met Beth and Eddie before even Pearl Jam, and they just finished, you know, starting to first, we just finished recording the record, so we got to hear all the rough mixes and all the final mixes and all that. So kind of, you know, from before they were even in a band and before they even knew what was going on, we were kind of hanging and, so he kind of got to watch me climb up to the pinnacle of baseball. I was kind of watching them climb up to the, the you know the, the pinnacle of music, and that's the great thing about music is uh, you can keep doing it. Was <laughs> there... have, the, the physical stuff's not going to get you down. Did you know, like listening to those early things, did you know, like, wow, I didn't just meet a guy who's in this band trying out. I met a guy who's in a band that's going to be one of the bands of the generation. Like, did... I, you, you never know that right away because there's so many things that, you know, I like that not a lot of other people like or things that you think are brilliant that bands that just, you know, I still think the replacements from the best bands ever. And, you know, I know they're being up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all that, but still tons of people don't know anything about them. Right. And they didn't get, a, you know, to a level like that. When we first heard that record, you know, it wasn't like it fit any genre at the time because grunge, you know, really wasn't a typical grunge record. 
it was just like a rock record that was a little different, you know, kind of a bridge record between what was going on and, you know, what was about to happen. And one of the funniest things is we were, we were out on tour and we had that tape with us of all those songs. And this is the, uh, this is, um, my first band view before, uh, before the stick figure stuff. So we're out on tour and we're listening to this in the car and we decide, Oh, the song alive. That's pretty cool. Let's learn it. And so, we would sound check every day, learning alive, <laughs> learning the song while we were opening up to the Smithereens. And it's like, it's so funny because by the beginning to the end of opening up to the Smithereens, that song broke. And they're like going, um, is that your guy's song? Are you kidding me? Is that your song that they're going to like, no, 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 we're just learning it and sound checking dummies, you know, it's not our song. So it's, it's kind of crazy. That's nuts. Now, I'm curious because you, you just went and seen them now a few a few weeks ago, and I think you told me there was a Charlotte show you went to. Yeah, and so you've seen some of the early. I mean, I guess you know you've seen them as way back as you can see them. And what do you think about the twenty plus years of Pearl Jam and where they've come? And when you stand there in the audience in Charlotte and you kind of watch their career flash before your eyes, and during Pendulum or whatever was the first song that night, is there anything that is there any like what what do you think about there? Well, I, it's 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 one of those things where I look back and I go, you know what? They were real smart. I think they they really solidified a long term plan. Um, they they solidified a long term plan. I think when they were um, hooking up with Neil for the uh, Mirrorball record. Right. And kind of talking to him about what it takes all that. And, and you know, to be able to watch, like, how the first record went down when they just gave Eddie the songs and he kind of came up with lyrics and, you know, and then the next, you know, go-around where, you know, Ed picks up a guitar and starts writing a little bit more to where they are now where each of them writes a couple songs per record. I think it's been great, you know, just to, to be able to not have any ego get in the way of any of the songwriting or any of the creativity or any of that and still be able to come up with great records. And, you know, I think that's helped them a lot by being able to do that. Are you, uh, you enjoying lightning bolt? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. And it's, it's different because it, you know, I'm not sitting here listening to a record like we used to, because that's not what's done anymore. You listen to individual songs on, uh, you know, that, that you get off the internet and, and that's one thing that is disappointing that I'm not doing anymore is really buying records and listening to records in full like I used to. So might be something I have to think about changing. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, that kind of Neil Young mirrorball period because that was maybe the one time in the history where it really could have went either way. And I, I know they talked about it a little bit in Pearl Jam 20, and there's kind of some some you know people say you know it's like well right in between Vitology and and No Code you know it's like they could have been gone but Jack Irons pulled them in and said hey let's not break up let's do No Code let's do this record and the Neil Young stuff came up and you know and, and it goes from there and then I I was I was standing there the other night watching Matt Cameron and uh, it was just a day after Matt Cameron had kind of announced that he was going to take a year off from Soundgarden and I, I'd always wondered when Soundgarden came back you know if Push ever came to shove. And Matt decided that he had to do Soundgarden. Would this band be willing to do it again with someone else? And um, I just wonder what you think of, of Matt Cameron and, and the where, where he fits in as now being the longest tenured drummer in Pearl Jam. People forget now 
that nobody's been in Pearl I think, Jam long. Yeah, I think with all I think with all the different guys and personalities they went through, that once you know they got Matt, they're like, okay, this is the guy who you know I feel like it should have been way back when. So I think the match is there. You know what they would do. Soundgarden versus Pearl Jam. If he had to choose, you know, I who knows? Who knows what would happen? But I think they they probably all, would all work it out at some point. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, it looks like he cho- he chose Pearl Jam. You know, because he's not going to do any of the shows with Soundgarden in 2014. He says he'll be back with them at some point, but I don't know. It's just it's just an interesting interesting dynamic. Yeah. I want to ask you something that's really specific to you. And you can give me some perspective on being someone who's been a professional athlete and had a passion in music and and played in bands. There's a guy on the the Sabres, I'm in Buffalo, a hockey player named Drew Stafford. Uh, he grew up in Wisconsin. He played uh, at the University of North Dakota. It was a first-round draft pick. And he's always been a little bit of a little bit of a, a disappointment professionally. And people have maybe fairly or unfairly blamed some of his disappointment on his interest in music. He's a guitar player. He's not shy about how passionate he is about playing music. I don't know necessarily that he's ever been in a band that he's toured with quite to the level that you did, but I'm just curious. What do you think about about music and how maybe your passion for music affected your career? And if you would buy into a fan, basically an uneducated fan, because it's it's people who don't know, you know, Drew Stafford, who are saying this, saying, you know, he could have been an all star player, but instead he spends too much time messing around in guitar or whatever. Yeah, who knows? I mean. To project anything on anybody, you have no idea. You know, he could have done this because, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But there's more to it than you know. A lot of times, there's more to it than just the talent level. As to the, the, you know, it's like the way guys are wired. You know, the way things turn out. I, I think for me, it helped me stay sane. You know, because I wasn't, I, I was never super comfortable at the time being the baseball guy, being the athlete. You know, it's it's. Just was weird for me to always get introduced. Hey, how does Jackie plays baseball? And I, because I figured that just kind of that just kind of pigeonholed me into being something. I'm like, and yeah, it really kind of didn't really tie it all in. But that's what you, you know, that's what you got pegged as. So I think music helped me kind of be as a little bit of a uh, an escape away from that and try to you know create another personality for me almost. One last thing, and I'll let you go. And again, I really appreciate this. Jack McDowell, the winner of the 1993 Cy Young Award, kind enough to take some time and talk about baseball and Pearl Jam. And this is the kind of thing that I would have never asked you probably two or three years ago. But a couple weeks ago uh, was the 20th anniversary of uh, an incident in New Orleans. And since Eddie Vedder can laugh and joke about it on stage, I figure there's no reason I can't ask you about what you remember about the infamous night in New Orleans that you and Ed had. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, crazy night. So they were down there um, recording. What was the record? They were recording. Um, Must have been Vitology, the, the right? Third record. Yeah, Vitology. What's that? It was Vitology. Yeah, Vitology. Right. They were recording Vitology down there. So in the studio all day, and Urge Overkill was opening up for him, Chicago band. He said, "Hey, why don't you know that? Why don't you come down here and we'll hang out and you know see a couple shows, hang out and have some fun." Okay, great. They were, you know, in town for a few days, obviously, doing doing some recording and doing a couple shows. And So I went down there, and we went out after the show. Everything's fine. You know, people came up to Ed, and there's just this one guy that all night was in Eddie's face. You know, hey, you know, you're you full of crap. You know, you, you, you think you're Mr. Perfect, and you're trying to do this, and, you know, all over him. And it's like, and at that time, 
Eddie was naive to the fact that these types of people exist. So, of course, he was trying to convince this guy he was the real deal and he really cared about things. And, you know, and this guy wasn't buying it and just kept getting more drunk as night and kept getting in his face every about five minutes. And guys would have to bring him away. And so we were leaving. Finally, he got through the whole night without it. And we're leaving. And this guy follows that out of the bar, gets in his face, starts pushing. And, you know, Ed spits in his face, and they go, and then all of a sudden, you know, I come across the street, I start going with a guy, and the bouncer from the bar follows me all the way across and, like, blindside cheap shots me, and I pretty much uh, met up with a um, a car bumper, which wasn't real good, but that's how that <laughs> night ended up. A bar fight with Pearl Jam. I, I'm not, I've never been in a bar fight, but I guess if I had to sign up for one, I think I'd, I'd want to sign up for one sticking up for Eddie Vedder. I don't know. <laughs> it was weird because we had, we had a couple things almost happen in Seattle too. It was like when we got together, people wanted to rattle cages and you know, it was funny. We'd sit there and just go, are you kidding me? Come on. You know, we had to get out of here, get away from these people trying to stir up crap. So it was weird. Well, I don't want to end it on a downer. So I'll give you one last, one last thing. When you look back at, at being a Pearl Jam super fan, as I coined you, I don't know if that's fair or not, but uh, it works for what we're trying to do here. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, Pearl Jam moment over the last 20-plus uh, years as being such a cool part of uh, the band's lore? Probably. Well, we, we had a trade-off back when I was playing where um, I brought Ed out on the field and put him in uniform a couple times, and, and he uh, I had to go up on stage and play with him one time. That was pretty fun. Um, Where was that, the, and what uh, did you play? Um, it was in Tampa, and we played Rockin' in the Free World, the the, the, the typical right. encore for right. that period, um, which was the easy one to bring all the friends up for, you know, four chords and rock it out and smash it like Neil, and there you go, it's easy enough. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, the one, probably the best moment, though, was uh, we dressed up Ed in a White Sox uniform, had him out there all pregame, and <laughs> I don't even know how. If I, we'd, if I could sit here and talk to him, we could probably remember how this all went down, but convinced one of the local reporters that he was a call-up. And he did, and me and, and Ed did an entire interview with this guy. This guy had no idea. No idea. I mean, we finished it, and, and guys are, like, walking around just going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's asking, like, full question, well, you know, how does it feel to be up? And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty much going to kick everyone's butt, and I, I'm, I'm planning on dominating here. And the guy's, like, writing it down, going, oh, my God, i got a great story. This guy's right. an idiot, you know? <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. It was, it was unreal. It was funny. Now, did you but let like, him in on it before you wrote end, it? At the very end, yeah. one of the radio guys comes over and goes, you know that's Eddie better, right? And the guy's like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, my God, okay, all right. Wow. It's like a 20 minute interview. That was fun. Well, this was very fun, and I can't thank you enough for, for being candid and cool about it. All right, I want to thank. Jack McDowell and Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters, including the original episode uh, that had that Jack McDowell interview on it back in 2013. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. 
We're on Instagram at Sportscasters. You can leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, the 24 inch podcast is also available on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud uh, at 24 inch podcast on Twitter, Instagram at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast, and email us 24 inch podcast at gmail.com. All right, one last thing from me today. Uh, on Thursday, I went back to ECC South and spoke to the intro to broadcasting class, and it was a thrill, to be honest. Um, I originally went to college at Syracuse. I left too early. I came home. I went to Niagara and basically was miserable there because I wasn't at Syracuse anymore where I should be and uh, kind of fell out of love with education there. And uh, instead of dropping out, I stuck it out, went to ECC for a little bit, and I met a guy named John Harrigan, who I've talked about on this show, uh, who changed my life, got me back into education. I went on, graduated Fredonia, went into English education, got sick, and started this podcast. Uh, and I stayed in contact with John, as I talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, and through him, I got connected with Gina, uh, who is in charge of the program now and who um, teaches the intro to broadcasting class. And she invited me to talk to the students. So we have about 20 to 25 students in there. Um, and there was also a morning DJ at 96.1 in Buffalo, which is kind of like an adult contemporary station. And he um, he does the morning show there. They, they play Christmas music all the time. I've never heard the morning show, uh, but he was really nice. He spoke as well. Uh, we both did about 35, 40 minutes. I went first. I told him, I said, you're the vet. I'll let you pick. He picked to go second. So on first, I had a blast. I just went down there, uh, got right in the mix with them, looked him in the eye. Uh, told them my story, told my experience growing up in Buffalo um, and beca- how I became a podcaster and the highs and lows of the podcast. Talked about my health a little bit, what I've been through. Uh, the SI article, of course. I uh, got to meet some of the students after. Shook a lot of hands. I'm here for them. If they're listening, don't be afraid to email me. I hope I can help you. And I told Gina when I left, I'd be honored to come back and do it again next semester. And it just made me feel so good. And I felt so just alive and loose and sort of free down there. And I could have done it for an hour more. And I loved every question. I love taking the questions. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just honored that I've gotten myself into a position uh, where the intro to broad- broadcasting class thinks me talking to the students brings value. What a blessing. Uh, And I was honored to do it. And I can't wait to do it again. And I'm so honored to interview Joe Buck today. And I'm so honored for you to hear this show. And I got some fire back. I needed it. The passion light was dimming. But I feel like it's on bright again. Uh, And hopefully we'll be back soon with Kenny Albert. Thanks for listening. I'm out.